Dope. Um, before uh, we begin, I need to get my french fries out of the oven. I'm so sorry. Okay. They took too long. <laughs> As I'm sure our listeners are very aware, for the past few months we've been asking for mailbag questions, and lo, these are our times to answer them. And lo to start? is one of my favorite. I love saying that. I don't know why I find that such like a satisfying phrase. I also want to start, um, mostly because this question is one that was generated just a little bit ago, and I don't want to forget it because it's not on the list. Jaren talked about early on when we were starting this call, what it's like sort of hearing your own voice for the first time uh, as you are being your character, listening to the first few episodes of a podcast you made. Uh, he talked about it specifically because of the patron podcast. And uh, so I just was just sort of directed at everybody how, how it made you feel hearing your own voice in that setting the first few times and how do you feel about it now? To no one in particular. <laughs> I hate the sound of my voice, but I think that's fairly universal. Yeah, I absolutely. I think that the first few episodes, I was like, "Man, I really don't like the sound of my own voice." But then, as you listen more, you just you just kind of tune out that it kind of goes to the background. And you just focus on what what's happening. Yeah, I second Zach. I definitely was really weird about it the first couple times, but after you know listening to as much material as we made like i just you can't focus on it i have spent probably upward of 100 hours at least with my voice while i still don't necessarily like the 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 rhythm and cadence of it like i do i'm comfortable with the sound the timbre is fine <laughs> I'm okay with that. See, I'm, Joe, basically the exact opposite. Because in general, I feel like I'm, I'm typically fairly aware of the overall cadence of my speech. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas the, the timbre itself, you know, we, from what I understand, what we hear of our voice is actually physically different than what others hear. There is yeah. some physics involved there um, and some biology. So, like, I never can get over, like, God, do I really sound like that? Like, is that the actual texture of my voice? It's honestly more annoying than I'm happy to admit. I, I find my voice a little irritating. I think it's kind of the same for me. Like I said, I don't find it as annoying, but it just, it's so different from what I hear in my head that I was like, wow, that's a different person. I wouldn't respect that person. <laughs> I kid, I joke, but you know that like you, you joke, but like in some ways, you know, I'll I'll think about things that I've said that that when I said them felt impactful to me, and part of part of not just as a character, but like just in like life, and part of them being impactful was to me how I said them, 
And so then hearing, like even even you know on on the the podcast, you know, like hearing what I felt in the moment were some of our more impactful statements. Like don't feel, don't feel like they hit quite as hard when it's the voice that is recorded, not the voice that I hear. We had a uh, question to you, Sarah, from Dylan, asking mm-hmm. if you would ever DM and what kind of story you'd want to tell if you did. Yeah, I like that question. Oh, do I need to answer it? Okay. Just yeah, please. it was asking. <laughs> <laughs> I actually was talking to somebody at work about this today because I just found out one of my friend um, DMs a lot. Um, I If I could like actually handle mechanics, then maybe I would DM. But I struggle enough with one character. Like Keeping track of that many would be a, a lot. I'm like not an organized person. And I feel like DMing, you need to be relatively organized. And I know that both Yessie and um, Joe are super organized people. Yessie's probably like, what? But you really are. Um, and uh, so, like, they have that, like, framework already kind of set up. Whereas, like, I love playing D&D. And, like, I'm sure I could, like, lead a one-off that was already, like, mostly written. But I don't, I don't really want to DM. I don't really want to, like... I don't have the time or energy to create anything like that. Even with a great group that would totally help me do everything. Like, that's just a lot. Joe, I know you do a lot of work. <laughs> and I appreciate you for it. But I it's don't want to do what you do. Uh, are there... Uh, so uh, Submitted by Jordan G. Via email. Are there events slash side quests you wish you had taken? Oh, wait, wait, no, no, no. That's not the one I wanted. That's not the one I wanted. Hold on. Well, let's go to, go ahead and do that one. Dang it. Are there events and side quests uh, you wish you had taken the opportunity to do but passed up? Um, the flying boat. Yes, the flying boat. I, ah. But because, yes, at the end we would have had a flying boat, but to get there we would have also had to encounter a dragon, which is, I'm about that. Honestly, like... That one, that one's fun because my answer is no. Like, I care. <laughs> I'm interested in the side quest, but, like, I very on purpose, knowing full well that Joe yeah. might just screw us over with the, us ignoring side quests, continue the main quest because that's, like, that's what I feel like I should do with this game. There's this, there's this forward momentum that I don't want to interrupt because the world will keep moving even if we stop. Yeah, I'm hoping that there is a point in the future where we don't necessarily have, like, I mean, even even like where we're at in the in the story right now. Um, but I'm hoping there's a point in the future where we are not necessarily as pressed for time as a party, and and we can feel a little more free to do that because, like Stephen said, even if we would have taken the time, like for instance, going to Neavan's house in the woods or whatever. Um, that we, because there's supposed to be some loot there or something, um, and we missed that opportunity too. Um, like there's several things that I think that we, in this particular arc, we were very pressed for time, and not that that was a bad thing, because I think it helped keep the tension up, which is I, I liked, but it also didn't leave a lot of time for going on random side quests that we felt would take just a long time. Yeah, that's one of the reasons. Uh, why I gave you like a two-day buffer, three-day buffer maybe uh, in Havenmere once you'd got there for mm-hmm. um, for Erica try to like lead the troops down yeah. to Yeah, and we probably squandered some of that time. No, sure. it, no it you worked. were having a good time. Yeah, it got us on some side quests because 
we we were forced to wait, and so yeah. we side quested because we had to wait. Um, so this one was for me from uh, Jordan G again via email. As a GM, I always want to tell my players about what would have happened if they took that different option. Do you have a specific time where you would like to slash can tell us about where you planned an option but the players never went for it? Um, one of the oops hit my mic. One of the things that I had planned in Havenmere was for all of you to um, potentially explore the stuff about going destitute, as as Yessi brought up earlier, the gentrification part of this uh, arts city, um, where you have to have a certain, you have to maintain a certain social class, otherwise you are removed from the city, and there's a whole plot centered around that for you to go uh, hmm. back to um some other some other stuff that i've got noted include uh the episode cosmology lessons and the underdark which we've talked about before um and so even though i'm, I'm i can't say i'm super disappointed by by that particular episode because um even though ulrich and the rest of the party didn't go into the underdark then when you brought it back up to around the campfire to everybody like you had wonderful talks about like the ways that the planes fit together and what that looks like which was very very helpful for world building and uh sharing that with the audience um plus you saved it for later which uh cough cough will come up um still going through these notes uh eric's cabin uh and the treasure that Nia Van knows about, but they cannot locate. Um, Zach, that you brought up earlier. Somewhere there's a whole bunch of gold waiting for you. <laughs> just don't know where. So that one, man, I can pay off just so many library cards. Um, that that <laughs> just such like that's a straight up like loot grab. Go find the oh, gold, yeah. fight the Draugr, mm -hmm. and all that. Like, oh yeah, sue us, Bethesda. Yeah, please. We might be able to win against that. Bethesda's not doing super hot right now. <laughs> Poor Fallout 76. R.I.P. Hey, hey, Todd Howard, I hope you get your uh, shit together before Elder Scrolls 6 releases. Oh, they have to. There's no way. Like, that game has to be amazing. Yep. I, God, I, I need it to be. I got one to Zach. Who is your favorite character you ever played from Dylan via email? Um... So, for a long time, my favorite character that I'd ever played um, was this dwarf named Dorf, um, who <laughs> was a fighter of some sort, um, and became, like, world famous for, like, doing pit fights and stuff, and just, like, picking fights with people and beating them up, um, and that was really fun. Fairly recently, I played a character, um, man, I don't remember what his name is, because we only played, like, two times, but I played an evil character like a lawful evil character and I had never played an evil character before so that was a really really fun experience in the first day I overthrew an entire town and became the leader oh um, through just through some random happenstances it just kind of worked out that way and I lied and said I did some things that I didn't do and stuff but in that vein if you're ever playing an evil character I think playing a lawful evil character and being someone more like a little finger or a Jafar type is a lot better than being a chaotic evil, just run around and do bad stuff type of guy. Ooh, I have another one for Zach that I like. 
This is from Aaron uh, via Joe. Aaron, my wife. Did Alaris get beat up in middle school because dot, 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 and that's the question. Well, I mean... We, Thanks, Aaron. It's, yeah, I think it's been alluded to that he got picked on quite a bit whenever he was in the Weavers Guild. So, I mean, yeah, he probably got picked on in middle school. <laughs> I love that you brought out the Wand of Fear with Leopold. I, I love that scene. I was not expecting it at all. What, what were you expecting me to do? <laughs> I was expecting you to, like... You know, get into a, a sortie fight. No. <laughs> I would lose that fight. You can roll some nat 20s, and maybe you would lose the fight. But no one wants to lose. Instead, <laughs> an enemy just cauterized his hatred. Exactly. All right, Yessie. Just so you know, Dylan, he thinks your role play is amazing. And he wants to know what Gearding and character looks like for you. Not a lot of prep work. Uh, I'm a big fan of just books and literature in general. So I think that really helps because I'm used to reading through other people's voices and with other people's voices in my head. So I just kind of part the veil of reality and don't think so much about what I would do and think about just what the character would do. Uh, at times, uh, if you've listened to the final fight or the episode Crunchy Bits, it could be a little frustrating for some of the other uh, player characters. Uh, and I think that's another thing. You do have to do be good about separating character knowledge from player knowledge. But there's not a, a whole lot of method to the madness. So the question I meant to ask earlier and picked the wrong one by accident, not that that other one was bad, it's just not the one I wanted, um, is uh comes to us from puddle splasher via discord and it is is there a part in the story that players wish they had handled differently in retrospect do you have regrets and the first one i want to start this <laughs> the first one that comes to my mind is that whole situation with the vials and the dragonborn like that scene where we're in the scale and file <laughs> is shameful. Oh my God. Like I felt bad as a person that I was involved in that. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it, we either should have not said anything or not screwed with it. Like we, the, how we, we did it all wrong. Like we didn't, yep. we didn't pick a side. Yep. We middle grounded it. And then that screwed us. It was terrible. That's definitely the one thing that I, God, I wish we had just not done it like that. Just to spare us the awkward. It's not even about that we lost those vials. Like, I would have been content to either have just heroically returned them or kept them. Um, yeah. But, but the, like, what we did was, like, super awkward. <laughs> I don't know. We're going to table the, uh, the regrets and go back to that uh, puzzle box. This comes from Jordan G via email. There's a time when the players consider drinking the elemental potions. Uh, Joe, can you tip the GM screen? Let's. I, I really. Go ahead. Real quick, I wanna. I wanna say that it wasn't the characters. It was the character. <laughs> yeah. It was just Grimton. <laughs> it, yeah, but it we, was definitely Grimton. We were all definitely like, yeah, Grimton, you try that, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> like, <laughs> we we even with our. You know, even with us being like, no, it's not a good idea. We secretly wanted you to do it just so that we could see what would happen. Oh, exactly. I was definitely like, I would have done it if there was like less on the line at that point. 
<laughs> yeah, we're okay with Joe killing Yessie's character. It's not Jordan our own. Jordan <laughs> says in the in the same question, I was so sad when they realized it was a crazy idea uh, and have been dying to know what would have happened since that episode first came out. I'm sorry, Jordan. It might be a spoiler. Who knows? Do you think we're going to go back and drink elemental potions? Elemental potions might come up again. I, mean, I feel like... I don't remember... I know I, I've... I've said this before at some point, I don't remember when, but I, I, in my head I was like, worst case scenario, I take some damage here in some, in some way. Best case scenario, I like gain a dragon breath power. So like, let's, I, that was my line of thinking. So back to the stuff about regrets and whatnot. What else would you have handled differently? I'm not going to say I regret taking the armor and the shield. But I feel like I may have uh, chosen to be bound to the shield a little, a little haphazardly. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Because now I'm like cursed, and eventually I'm gonna have to find a way to like not be cursed. Not that I necessarily regret it, but becoming a special legionnaire, I don't think we necessarily understood what we were undertaking at the time, and whether <laughs> or not, or how many responsibilities or whatnot would incur with that i thought we were just kind of accepting a title and that would be whatever you know what do you think those yeah. obligations are obviously we're in some way now bound to the pandominion in a much more official capacity than we necessarily were before who knows what will happen in the future but a lot of things could go ways that we don't want them to necessarily go because of that i uh in discussing this, wanted to point out that Ulrich so far is the only character who has not been, I don't say dragged into something, but like they're both legionnaires and then Morlinde joined the circle of land. Yeah. Not not unwillingly, but like I remember that play session and, and how Sarah was like, do I really want to do this? Or is this gonna like it felt like her version of joining the special legionnaires in a, in its own way. And so, like, I don't know, Ulrich's the only one who hasn't gotten sucked into some title of anything yet. And I'm curious to see if Joe is going to do that to me or not. <laughs> I mean, you already have a, a lot of responsibilities. I, I do and I don't. <laughs> like the, the... You're a, You have no external responsibilities. Yeah. You have responsibilities to your community, but no community that is instilling responsibilities onto you. Right, like, I am taking... At least at this point. Right, yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Like, I haven't gotten... And I feel like with the special legionnaire, I think because right now what we're taking advantage of is the f advantage of is the fact <laughs> that's the name of the show is the fact that it their title is really vague, um, mm -hmm. and I feel like the specificity of it is going to be called into question at some point, and they're gonna potentially get like put in their place, and it won't be happy. <laughs> like they're gonna be called on to do something that is within the realm of what they're supposed to do, and like it's gonna be like oh crap. We shouldn't have done this. See, because we were dubbed that by Lieutenant Colonel Try, but I, it seemed like something that was just kind of done on a whim. Yeah. So I don't know if it was <laughs> yeah. for her, like a, a political move, like, oh, these are my yeah. special legionnaires. Look what they've done, and she has more It'll... clout, so she can like, she's an ambitious young Lieutenant Colonel. She's trying to move up in the, yeah. in the ranks. It. it... It almost felt like a con, 
in a way when it happened like she was like you guys want to become special legionnaires and we're like i mean why not look and, at this cool gorget <laughs> but it just seems like she she has personal almost a beneficiary of everything we do because we're her special legionnaires yeah. yep she's got a toe in the door with every decision from now on for better or worse. I have a question to Yessie about Grimton. Um, what motivated you to have a character with one leg? <laughs> uh, brought to us by Dylan via email. I think Joe and I were uh, just discussing Advantage and being like an inclusive sort of podcast. So we just wanted to make uh, that something that uh, would set Grimton apart, I guess, from like a standard Not to tokenize dwarf. disability, but we wanted to include disability in the show. And I, I remember that we were we were tossing it back and forth, uh, Jesse and I, and like, how do we want to portray disability? Like, what is, what is something um, that would be obvious and recognizable that like can speak for itself what the quote-unquote issue is that doesn't have to be alluded to like like arthritis or something that is apparent to other other people as well i was really cool with the idea in a previous uh side campaign that joe had i played a, a self-forged and i just thought that was pretty cool a what another race i guess it's like a subclass or some card of some kind had add some sort of bionic to their person Ooh, oh, like a cyborg cool. yeah like a cyborg except they did it to themselves i guess so steven uh dylan wants to know what Ulrich's connection to mother bear looks like outside of combat because i don't think we've ever talked about that no not a lot um it's an interesting one um th th this will start out sort of within combat but it alludes to to their character and her character the mother bear outside of combat one of the abilities that I have and that I use in combat, honestly, more frequently than I do the actual her fighting, is as you guys know, I try very hard to to hold on to the mother bear and not just like come out swinging when we get into combat because to me that just sort of defeats her her character element. Um, but she has one called Guardian Shroud where basically she runs over to somebody and I always characterize it as her kind of like settling on slash around them and it heals them. And so I see mother bear, mother bear represents Ulrich's desire to protect that which they hold dear. Um, I, I feel like the, the mother bear's influence causes them to be more, I don't want to say aggressive, but aggressive, I guess, about um, like if there's going to be a situation that's going to put them in danger, Ulrich is more vehemently against it. And sometimes like she shows through even, you know, maybe maybe like a little bit of a glow or like a snarl that was a little too animal. Um, I, I sort of think of the mother bear, it's hard not for me not to characterize her in much the same way that Heibai is characterized in um, Avatar the Airbender, specifically because Heibai has those two different parts, that, like, scary four-armed monster and then the, like, snuggly, um, the snuggly, like, panda bear character. And so Mother Bear has a lot of that, to where when she's not in combat, she's 
represents a sort of warmth or compassion, um, you know, protecting, protecting that which is theirs in the less direct combative way. Uh, and then when it's time to fight, the, the claws come out and she gets really scary. I think I have one for everyone so. about the world. Do y'all think that the show would have picked up and gotten as popular as it did if the burn did not happen? Would you have been as interested in the campaign if it didn't happen? Submitted by Jonah right now. That's a, that's a mm. fair question because as I, as I think I was saying when we were talking early on, like before we started, that burn, like, that's the episode. I tell people, make it through at least episode four, and then you'll know. Yeah, then if you still know. don't like it after four, and like, that's, you're not going to enjoy that's it. That's good yeah. advice. But, like, I, I was hooked into this campaign anyway, and I, I know and I trust Joe, so I know that good story stuff is going to come along. I think there would have been hooks, even, like, strong hooks, even if it wasn't that one. But I, I must concede that that was a that was a powerful hook that definitely sucked yeah. me in um, as one, a player. Uh, I think that if that hadn't happened that way, I think the tone of the podcast might be a lot different. I think that the burn itself sort of gave us our more serious and dark tone that's prevailed throughout the entire arc. And if that if it had gone a different way, or if something else had happened, then the I think the tone is probably what would have changed the most. Like we would it might have been more lighthearted, like different things like that. I think that um, not necessarily that it wouldn't have hooked people in as much as it would, but it would just be almost an entirely different show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to um, continue this hypothetical stuff with the question from Puddle Splasher via Discord and Jaren from Skype. If the beginning had gone the opposite way and the Pandominion wasn't allowed in, what do you think would have been the uh, the event that draws them together? And I this was addressed to me, but I don't want to I don't want to answer outright because that kind of shows my cards a little bit too much. I do want to hear your AU thoughts if uh, the Pandominion wasn't allowed to build the road. I thought about this a lot right when when Joe told us that like oh I just rolled a dice. Um, to decide our fate and I think what would have happened is the pandominion is not about to be told no so I, th- I feel like the pandominion would have found another way in or like come in with force mm-hmm. I just think they were asking nicely first because that's the easier route that's the easier thing to do yeah well, um, whenever Joe was describing the two factions that we were allowed to have characters in I definitely felt like the Pandemonium was going to be the more, I guess, like, colonizing, sort of, not evil, but uh, uh, forceful uh, of the two parties. Imperials, So I was expecting, I was fully prepared to, like... Imperial, Bethesda. Yeah. I I was fully prepared to, like, have our characters flip sides and be like, oh, what are we doing here? Like, these people are monsters. We gotta go help these elves. (laughs) (laughs) That's dope. And then we got the elves that we got. I, I agree with Sarah. Um, I think I think the Pandominion, even if it wasn't done at the like governmental level, even if it was just done um, like maybe there's some kind of criminal element that because everybody, including a criminal element, is going to benefit from that. So like I could have seen that happening, but I I also feel like the 
the other parts of the world would have pressed upon Issa Talos, like all the stuff happening with the Warforged and Grey Sunder, like I, I feel like that could have eventually drawn the Pandominion that way anyway. Like Issa Talos and the Watched Forest couldn't have remained isolationist for, for very long, not with with yeah. as much turmoil as in the world. And you can see even that happening with like the Southern Readout. Like obviously the Pandominion is still interested in getting a foothold, if not more, in the Watched Forest even now in the story you know like there's like it's still happening mm -hmm. uh this is a question to sarah about Marlin day being the person with like the person with the heaviest connections to the antagonists of the zealots um how does that affect Marlin day's psyche and faith that's from dylan it's definitely made uh Marlin day's like understanding like spirituality like practicing spirit spirituality the religion of it um she's really started to question that which is kind of a problem because that's her job um and so the biggest thing is it's um it's really making her like her purpose like her understanding of her purpose and her job kind of shaky and because she kind of got thrown in so quickly um, like, I understand that she had years of training, but she's supposed to have way more years of training. Um, sorry, there's a train. You're okay. And it's, like, super loud. I'll deal with it. Whatever. Um. Sorry, audience. I have never not lived by the train tracks. Sorry, guys. <sighs> um, tangentially... Uh, from that, Dylan also asks, what is one of Morlinde's greatest fears moving forward, especially now being the presiding druid over the protected remnants? Uh, Issa Talos becoming as polarized as it was, like, when the rift happened. Like, Issa Talos was polarized enough that when disaster hit, instead of banding together, they were like, bye! and separated into two different groups they were that polarized and so yeah her greatest worry right now is like reintegrating everyone together in like a peaceful way that that can create a community again um and she feels confident that like with the dwarves can i be talking about this yet the dwarves yeah go for it um she feels hey, spoiler alert <laughs> she feels I mean, it's coming out in like two weeks so okay she feels confident with like the the presence of the dwarves that like more people and more different kinds of people will um will make that transition like maybe smoother in that it's not just the two people who had a fight and ran off but like there's more people in the mix um but yeah her greatest worry is just like that all of this was for naught and they'll just be polarized and angry again in five years um this is for us the players about our characters and it's kind of the rest of that whole category um they're sent from us from our friends uh at Halfrin's role jim and sully and the 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 first part of the question is you know being a member of the darkmore podcast discord server joe showed us a glimpse of all the questions you were asked about for your characters in arc one were there any that you really had to stop and think about question, um, questions that really shaped your character in a fundamental way, and what were they? 
And then the second part of that is, is sort of the other side. Were there any that were like small details that you didn't think would matter all that much that ended up meaning a lot to your character um, as the sort of other side of that coin? I mean, the, the stuff that, that I was thinking about the most were like Alaris's heritage and his family and things like that. And obviously those um, were a major influence in like who he is and how he is and how he pre presents himself as a half-elf and like the whole him not being accepted in school and stuff. Um, I didn't necessarily expect Joe to come up with random people from the town way far in the Pandominion and just bring them into... <laughs> Just drop them in randomly, yeah. sprinkle them throughout. That was that was a little bit of a surprise, um, but it it just goes to show how much Joe does his homework. You know, it's like yeah, this every question has a purpose, and I think that's awesome. Every question sure. has a purpose. I think Joe just like asked us, "Hey, what do you guys want to see in this campaign?" and <laughs> One of my responses was just "Warforged?" Question <laughs> mark. This is all your just fault. I think, yep. <laughs> just because I think Warforged are cool, but I, that became yeah, that became well, kind of not, not even just relevant, but like integral. Like it's it's a part of the larger socio political stru uh, structure and struggle. Not even just oh look, Warforged, dope. Like they they yeah. make sense in the world and in the plot. Uh, this is kind of a follow-up from that, also from Sully. What elements in the world are you responsible for creating, at least partially? Did you enjoy the way that Joe took that information and ran with it? One of those answers being the Warforged. Uh, I want to hop in on this one. Um, Please. Specifically because I can tie that answer into the other two questions as well. Um, Absolutely. So, Ulrich's character is a gnome. And one of the things I got to make up uh, largely was gnome society. I got to sort of determine how that is. And I just I decided, or I proposed rather, that, that they were nomadic people. And they, they moved around in these like sort of clans um, and were identified uh, accordingly. And so how that relates to, to the show and like the larger things that Joe did with it is of course we start to see these other gnomes. Like it's kind of a big deal when I, when my character sees one from another clan um, and it like, it carries significance with it as, as it does just their placement within the cusp. But then that helps shape a lot of Ulrich's identity specifically with their idea of home. Um, not that, not that anybody ever wants to become a refugee, but like home, when I when I was crafting Ulrich's character, it, it was they lived as a very like idyllic life. They they you know had this like happy small like clan of, of family and friends, and there wasn't a lot of conflict. Um, but their sense of belonging wasn't specifically tied to location. They were hanging out in the same area for a while but it was tied to the people and the way of being. And so in a lot of ways that's carried over into how they feel attached to the people that they're with more so than the location. Um, like the party is Ulrich's home right now. Um, and, and so like that's played its way there. 
Uh, and so that, that, that's how it developed Arik's character and also how it related to Joe doing stuff with our world that we weren't ready for. Because Joe has definitely thrown in some gnome clans um, and surprised me. Once or twice he had to be like, hey, Stephen, that was a gnome, you idiot. And I was like, oh, crap, you're totally right. <laughs> I was all into the story and not paying attention to, to people's races and stuff. A cool thing that's <laughs> happened that I wasn't expecting but is really important to my character is uh, uh, Grimton feels a strong connection to his grandfather, uh, Gorbring, and he's been using like his mm-hmm. hilt as a, as a, as a prayer instrument, I guess. And the episode where we fought Stormhawk, I <laughs> managed to roll a, a nat twenty, and it became <laughs> a weapon. Yeah. That was also like a. A reminder of uh, Grimton's grandfather. And I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, I definitely like that. The lightsaber. Serious Disney. I wasn't gonna say lightsaber. We've been calling it a lightsaber. Joe doesn't like it, but we've been calling it a lightsaber uh, for some time. Yeah, the the radiant sword. So this is relevant because of push and pull in D D storytelling is a push and pull between dungeon master and characters and sometimes the dungeon master is trying to take you along a particular route in this case trying to get you to call it the radiant sword instead of a lightsaber yeah. um sometimes uh, characters are demanding that the dm take them where they want to go eventually you reach a sweet spot where the story is kind of telling itself and the group of you are just playing it out uh when was this point for you during season one or when was it most prevalent? Did you ever, so I guess, did you ever feel like I was tr- railroading you in a particular direction? No. More I, forcefully than normal? I don't, I don't think you ever thought, I ever thought we were being railroaded. I feel almost yeah. like we were railroading you yeah. more, more than you were railroading us. Well, and I think, I think for me, the point um, like where things really had a specific path um, was post Haven Mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because before yeah. then we're kind of wandering, we don't really know what to do, but like the clock is ticking. Um, and then after that, like the events sort of followed the way that they must. Like they, they right, kind of had right. to be that way. We had chosen. And you have a set route because you're following the river, you know? And like we had chosen, not only do we have a set route because the river is a physical route that we must follow, but like we had chosen our path and deviating now would have been more damaging than continuing it, even if it wasn't the best way. I specifically remember Mm -hmm. finding one of the Tempestos feathers on a sepulcher, and I was like, oh, oh, I see. I don't remember if that was before or after we found out that they like wanted to kill the or wanted to harm the protected remnants. I have a question for Sarah. Mm-hmm. How has your personal approach to role playing such a, fa- a fascinatingly complex character evolved from episode one to fifty? Brought to us again by Dylan via email. Shout out to Dylan. Yeah, Dylan's yeah, killing it. Um, uh, I do a lot more homework now because I have to go back and listen <laughs> like more than just once to like remember what a what happened and like b how my characters reacted to things. Mm-hmm. Um, to like keep, try and keep that consistent because in the beginning y'all know I was all over the place. Sorry, Joe. 
Uh, Love you. We all <laughs> kind of so were. Like, it's hard, except for Yessie. I feel like Yessie. Actually, it's really me and you, Sarah. I feel like Yessie yeah, and Zach have like, a good, like a good idea. Playing, what they're doing. How do we feel that day? Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing is just like actually looking back at my notes and listening back more than once when it's necessary, um, so that I have a good idea of how my character would be acting in that situation. You know, I can't always be completely in the moment for it, but you know, when the finale was coming up, I knew that like Moreland Day was going to be emotional about certain things and Moreland Day was going to be focused on certain things. So going back and um, being ready to role pay- play based on those things rather than just like showing up um, has been has been really helpful. And I think it's it's been more helpful to Joe too because I don't have to like text Joe and be like, wait what happened in episode 22 because i don't remember what can, can you share some of those like core more linde things that you've discovered about her character that helped guide that decision making process like you said oh these will be the things that that'll bother her that she'll be emotional about what are some of those core things about her character oh um her like her is this revealing too much? It's not revealing too much. Um, Joking comes right now, out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and especially at the end of arc one, her like core confusion about her purpose as presiding druid in in the case that we were in. There's one faction going one way, one faction going the other way. East Italians are in danger on both sides. Um, and the important thing is restoring balance, but like at what cost um and so going back and listening to some of Kareth's uh obnoxious rants um and just getting rooted in like well this is why we're not going that way sort of sort of as an aside to that as someone who's just watching it happen it does feel like um Morlinde as a character has definitely become more firm in her beliefs as it's gone on, especially after like the Kirith conversation and yeah. stuff, like just hearing more Linde be more like definite and defined in her, like this is what I believe is like the spirits and like how I believe that things should happen and stuff. It, it, yeah, it she's seems confident. Like, yeah. yeah, she's confident in her own ideas of like how things should be, um, but she isn't. She's very fuzzy currently on her role in getting the community there i think it's really easy for me to play characters like in similar situations as me and i i always do this and that's why my characters are assholes sometimes sorry joe um because i'm an asshole like when i got involved in community organizing like that's exactly how i felt and like that's still how i feel like oh we need to fix this what the (laughs) hell do we do next like um, which is like super relatable to like you know graduating from college and like growing up and figuring things out in your mid twenties, um, and so I feel like that's right where Moralinde is like in her in her role as presiding druid and as a community leader, and that's been easier to play because it's very relatable, like because like that's my life right now. What do I do? I'm gonna next? continue uh, asking you questions, Sarah, um, Hannah. Uh, wants to know the main differences between the circle of the land and the circle of great duty and jonah wants to know 
um, does Morlinde really understand the differences between the circle of the land and the circle of great duty? I think that one and time you recorded, she... she didn't remember. <laughs> um, the circle of the land is one druidic circle um, that, like, I had planned on joining basically the whole time because of mechanics purposes, but, like, we worked it into the story at the end. There's lots of different druidic circles that you can be a part of, um, and some of them are really cool, and I was really sad that it didn't work with my character to be part of the circle of the... I think a circle of the moon is a really cool one. You can, like, be a werewolf. I'm sure Hannah's thinking about story. Yeah, I'm, um, and I'm more interested in the story part of it. Yeah, the mechanics are why I picked it in the beginning. So in the story, uh, circle of the land, I feel like, are druids who are more worrying about the forest itself and like the beings within it and then how the spirits interact with that um whereas circle of great duty really focus on the religiosity of it the circle of the land um is also more of a uh historian yeah they uh they document they are more of watchers they're they're more aligned with the watcher than they are aligned with spirits that like get involved yes um this is for steven has Ulrich's apathy for the gods transferred to the people that worship them in light of the first arc that has dealt with the abuse of the gods and caused so much harm this is a this is a fun one to answer um it is difficult as a person this is just general not even to Ulrich's character to dissociate believers in gods or in in a way of being from what would seem to be the actions of those beings um uh we we see this a lot in a more real way in like a political arena like um it's hard to dissociate for instance uh a person from whom they might have voted for and not see uh those actions of whomever they voted for as a reflection on that friend's character does that does that make sense it's really difficult to Mm -hmm. sort of split that apart so Ulrich definitely it's not really played out per se yet like this is definitely a sort of rooted buried idea um particularly because like Grimton for instance is a paladin like he's got like of a bahamut i believe um and so like i I guess it hasn't it hasn't come up because grimton seems to be on the same side as alric but like deep down there is definitely some some of that same feeling like oh another person who believes in and follows the gods like here we go i already know what i'm gonna expect um because because of who they they worship or follow you you sort of pigeonhole people um based on a loose idea of their belief system um i am guilty of this as a person um a lot (laughs) um i'm very very bad about i try not to be vocal about it but of like seeing a person and seeing for instance who they might have voted for or what their belief system is and assuming a lot about them before I actually have gotten to interact with them as people. Um, 
And it's always kind of a mess because in some ways it's not necessarily a bad thing. Who you vote for, what you believe, and how you treat those around you say a lot about who you are as a person and like can say a lot about who you are even if I haven't spoken to you. But at the same time, I feel like I, I often fall into the trap of judging people more uh, too harshly. And I say that to say I think that Ulrich will eventually. The, Ulrich's distaste for the gods and the spirits is growing like it's not getting quieter um and so i think ulrich will potentially fall into that same same trap the same pit, uh pitfalls my dog is talking to me sorry he growled um one of the ones that i didn't put on here steven uh was a question for you that was how's finn finn is great he's fuzzy as ever uh i assume you're talking about the dog yeah how is how are both Finns? Finn the dog, Finn the fuzzy, is fantastic. He's spoiled rotten despite how whiny he can be. Uh, if you want, you're welcome to check him out on Instagram at Finn the puppy. That's F-I-N-N-D-A puppy. All one word. Um, Finn the human, the lovely uh, artist in my world, is also quite swell. Unfortunately for him right now, he's at a family thing. And uh, with some of the, like, less than tolerant family. Um, so he's, uh, he's not having a good time. He invited me to that, and he's not having a very good time at that right now. I'm glad you have this excuse. I, I wish, in some ways, I wish I could have been there for him to offer some defense. How does Grimton's sworn allegiance to Bahamut change his perception on duty? Uh, Dylan says, if I'm following correctly, he wasn't always a paladin for Bahamut. Um, has he always had strong opinions on injustice? And how is that channeled through uh, Bahamut, the god? I think uh, Grimton as a person has always had a strong sense of like right and wrong. But it wasn't until, uh, I guess he was forced out of her dearth and like, his comfort zone that he realized that uh, there were greater injustices than like orcs trying to raid caravans and like uh, things like that. He lived most of his life in her dearth and like isolated to his own little world. So I think that's kind of what pushed him over the edge to becoming a paladin of Bahamut, even in his old age. Like he saw that the injustice in the world spread uh, far beyond what he could ever begin to imagine and he wanted to do something about it as far as like how that affects his his views on duty i think uh he sees now that uh it's more than just about his his personal community and what he left behind and that he needs to do something about it because his uh response for whatever reason was to flee instead of trying to stay there and face it and now he's trying to make amends for it. Zach, this is a question also sent in by Dylan. Being the heroes of the battle and saving so many lives, has this had an impact on Alaris's feelings toward their half-elf status? I know he isn't necessarily ashamed of that part of himself, but in the beginning they had tried to hide this because he thought it would be, uh, it might be advantageous to hide it. Will his ears poke out a little higher now? Uh, I think so. I don't think 
Um, I mean, I don't think Alaris was ever necessarily ashamed of who he was. I think he just wanted to find somewhere where he would be accepted for who he was. And I think that he's found that. And I think that he realizes that it wasn't really ever anything to do with him. It was more just, it was all on the other people at the, at the place that he was at. Um, especially whenever he like met Mei Lin, um, and they formed their connection so quickly. And then after that, seeing Leovold and getting reminded of just how awful he was treated and these other people who don't even know who he is, you know, fully accepting him, like the protected remnants and stuff so quickly really, um, made him feel better about himself and whatnot, you know, just who he is going forward and saying like, there's no reason that you can't be a half elf. Like that doesn't affect who you are at all. You know, that kind of thing. Which is probably why he wanted to make, stick it to Leovold so much, because <laughs> this is uh, this was an anon sent in via Tumblr. Uh, were you expecting Maylin to be flirty? Uh, did you expect a romantic opportunity as a player? Um, well, I mean, I, I, I mean, yes, poten- like potentially. Joe Joe had asked me if there was if if there was an opportunity that arose for a romantic interest if that would be okay and I was like yeah that's fine um so I, I expected that there might be something like that at some point down the road um but um I don't know if I necessarily expected how straightforward Malin was as a character about the relationship be like the romantic opportunity type thing mm-hmm. um mostly because and I'm glad that that was the case because I know me playing a character and just giving into my own natural human tendencies like say Morlinde was flirty but wasn't as forward then I nothing probably would have happened Morlinde? Morlinde? Uh, yeah <laughs> Maylin. oh that'd be a fun story yeah um, yeah for sure sorry can guys I, no thanks can I get on a tumblr can I tag into Slash this fix. um please not not necessarily discussing the relationship stuff more so tipping the dm screen as it were um, a lot of the questions about that, uh, the world building that Joe does, um, almost have this view of that being like a thing that was done once. Um, and what I, what a lot of the, the listeners I think don't, don't see, well, cause they don't see it. They have no reason to know this, um, is that <laughs> Joe never really stops doing that every so often. He'll regularly call us and have conversations with us about things that he might want to do with our characters or that we might want to see our characters do. Um, and we sort of negotiate that out and talk about like, you know, is, is that within my character to do? What would that look like if my character were to do that? Does that make sense within the story? So as a, I guess just a, a tip to DMs out there, if you're going to be trying something like this, a sort of long form story, um, particularly one that you want to share on a on a platform like this, then like Joe Joe does a lot more of that create like that creating process. I suppose is not stagnant. Like he continues yeah, to do I it mean, with us, and we all continue to pitch in with it. Like just the other day, I sent Joe a message about something uh, I was wondering, and and we talked it out. Um, and yeah, that was, that was really cool. So, so I similarly had a, a fairly in-depth conversation with Joe about some things that could happen in the story. 
I like how ambiguous we're being. I, love I don't know how much I can share, <laughs> and so I don't want to just like go too far. Things will things will come in time. For Stephen, what does the feeling of hate from Ulrich, which you described in the final battle toward um, Elder Cyanidel, how does that affect Ulrich going forward? It's from Dylan. Um, that's a speaking of an, things. That, yes. <laughs> Uh, that's an interesting one uh, that I really am glad I get to answer. Um, me, as Steven the player, I am not a very, like, hate person. It's wholeheartedly against, like, my views on the world. I don't even like using the word. Um, but Ulrich is to a place where they've realized that that's or they're realizing perhaps that, that that might be what they're feeling and they're not sure that it's unjustified. Um, they, they feel, if anything, very, very justified about it. Um, I don't know, Joe, how much of this I can talk about without spoiling some things about what's coming. For both player, or for, for listener and players, actually. Yeah, and so I don't want to go too far into it, but suffice it to say that this is not just a thing that happened that they will then ignore this is a a feature of themselves that they have to reckon with and it you know i don't know how it'll turn out but it's not something that just was a, a happenstance thing like they now have to deal with the fact that they are capable of hate and that that hate is still present in its own way it didn't because you know like that last battle, that sort of vengeful strike that, that uh, Ulrich got, of course, didn't sate that feeling. They still have, you know, they, they aren't satisfied. They didn't do it. That, that helped some, I guess, but it's, it's still there. They still have that hate. And so it's going... The rage exists. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how Ulrich deals with it, if they're going to find a way to sort of redeem that and you know let go of it or if it's going to become a critical element to who they are and i can honestly say i don't know yet that'll be something i discover as we go um but it, it will have an impact uh, that is yet to be determined um this is for zach from dylan there's a couple of them um number one is zach what made you choose to be a wizard and number two, uh, Alaris went down twice during the battle. How did that shake him? So kind of answering, like, what made you choose the class that you are and recognizing your squishiness, sure. what might that look like going um, forward? I'll throw in another question from Dylan um, asking if I prefer to play magic users or martial characters along with this. Yes. Um, so I chose to play a wizard because I'd never played a wizard before. I generally very much prefer martial characters um like if any video game i'm playing i'm always just a hack and slashy type guy um so i was like you know what i'm gonna do something different that i've never done before and so I, that's why i became a wizard alaris yeah he i mean he definitely um was affected by nearly dying in the fine the, the final battle um so much twice. so twice <laughs> i mean yeah and, I mean, even on the cliff before that, and just, um, 
He has a lot, a lot of near-death experiences. So I think that he's going to try to remedy that as best he can going forward. Because he realizes that he's more of a somewhat more of a detriment at this point than a um, help. So. Jonah asked a question kind of relating to squishiness. Remember back when you were fighting the hag and you uh, sacrificed, I think it was a hag, you sacrificed some fingers in order to uh, get out of a hold or something like that? Mm-hmm. Jonah asks, is Alaris okay with the fact that he lost some fingers? Yeah, I think that he's okay with the fact that he lost some fingers. He, Alaris is sort of a matter of a fact, like matter of fact type of person. Um, and he understands that that's what needed to happen at that moment for him to continue the fight and continue, like, I mean, I'm sure I went down in that battle as well, but before <laughs> I went down, that would have been what would have needed to have happened to continue fighting the good fight. And also realized his dumb mistake of punching a shambling mound. Yeah. That was just... <laughs> oh, yeah, were you trying to shocking grasp it? Was yeah, that I was. Yeah, was? That's, that's, that's what happened, I believe. Um Yesy, do you prefer DMing or PCing? Um, that's from Dylan. Also, I want to add in: uh, Are there future plans for more disadvantage stuff? Uh, first part, I think I do prefer PCing. It's just I don't know. It seems more fun to just be a character and uh, uh, play it out. But secondly, yes, it's just a matter of getting it organized, I guess. Uh, as far as disadvantage is concerned. There should definitely be more disadvantage. I had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, Steven? Yes? Do you have anything to add to that? I, w- I was going to ask, because you, you had mentioned the sort of rebranding thing. Um, I didn't know if this was a, an appropriate time to talk about that or not. Let's do it. I actually haven't mentioned this to... Anybody else? Yesy, yeah. Sarah, or Zach. Um, so. I... I was talking to Joe about just options of exploring the rest of the world, but without using our characters, our main characters. And there, cause there's a lot that we could do. Uh, and, and one of the things we talked about is a, is a very how the other half lives kind of thing where every now and again, we have interlude stories that are about the world and in other places, but that aren't our player characters and that might even be characters we run into later. Like maybe we play some rando side quest, but then later we see the impacts of that in the main story. Um, and that was a fun discussion, and we got a lot of stuff going. And Joe had mentioned, because we've only got one disadvantage episode out, um, instead of having yet a, another spinoff, like two separate spinoffs, just rebranding the disadvantage stuff to include that, even if they're more serious stories and not just be us getting real drunk and having a good time. That said, um, you could also do yeah. that. Yeah. Or it could <laughs> be both. Yeah. Yeah, right. Porkindolos does. Yeah. Steven, yeah. are you interested in potentially DM- DMing something? Well, and that was the other part. Well. Joe, Joe sent me some, some stuff about other parts of the world, and I've been putting together a small... Calling it a one-off isn't quite right because it won't necessarily be complete after one or two sessions of it. It's more of like a... I, I've created a, a place, and within that place, we can do a lot of things. It's a small a small little world. Um, it's in um, the... It's in the east, 
in the town of Undoing, um, which I had to go find the map that it's on because it was not obvious. Um, it's somewhere in the Discord. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. You, you just like, <laughs> it's on one map and I had to go find that one map. Um, it's right where the Watched Forest meets whatever that scary place is to the east of that. The, oh, Valley yeah, the, the, the Valley of Monsters. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. so Undoing is this like terrifying, like it's Australia in a town. Like everything there is is trying to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> like there are mind flares out there. It's a scary place. I bet some tough customers live there. Oh, this this is a cool one uh, from Sully that I appreciate. Sometimes groups and campaigns just fizzle out. Interest wanes. They struggle to make the progress. Can't see the end in sight. Uh, did this ever happen during your campaign? Was there ever a point where the lack of a light at the end of the tunnel just started to slow you or the group down? How did you get out of that funk, and what brought you back on track? I'm I'm not sure I ever felt in a in. I mean, like we definitely had some episodes where we were useless, y'all. Like, yeah, river boating is just not for uh. us. But but there was always. Like, the plot gravity was always there. We could always see our goal. We always had one. It didn't feel like we were just running around Yeah, which, which is what I think helps keep... I mean, aside from the fact that we're doing this as a way to stay connected as a friend group, um, which is more of a motivation to keep playing than necessarily any story element, um, I think that having a... As far as other groups and stuff, I think having an established actual goal helps a lot to keep party interest high. Yeah. Especially because our goals um, were ones we made and Joe did the best he could to make sure they worked. Um, yeah. We, cause you know, before most major anything in every, in every part of this arc, we would have plan sessions where we just sat down and I, I always, I felt bad because I felt like they were probably not the most fun things to listen to, to the listeners. But they were important because then we moved forward with a plan. And so we n I never felt like we were just kind of fizzling out or anything. Like, there were some hard moments for sure, but it always had forward momentum. For me, sp spending so much time in the world and having both short and long-distance views of plot, like, I, I know what you're going to run into this session, next session, and then... I could probably guess what's going to happen 10 sessions from now. I had some very big issues on like pacing, especially like just trying to get us to the final battle. It felt like it took forever um, and forever to also release it. And that's just because I spent so much time in the world. And mm -hmm. so finally, finally recording that battle and just being able to cap off arc one, uh, eventually publish it, and set that story down felt so good to do <laughs> because now i now i have a new vigor for like all right arc two potential let's do this yes. yeah um but i don't think we ever like i i like the like that we didn't actually like we didn't necessarily rush things at, at points like i mean there's going to be natural lulls in stories yeah no matter what you know and i i feel like we've done like we we definitely have our excitement and our not as exciting parts which is just naturally how it would go you know well like, and i feel 
this is this is more of a me thing than than I suppose you know this this might not be true for everybody, but one of the things I love in novels and series is is length that doesn't feel wasted, and I to me that's what I felt like we have because like when for instance Morlinde settles into really like finding her place because she definitely like I don't say doesn't have an identity but like is unsettled for a while. Because yeah. she's not really sure about like how to talk, like how to interact with the spirits, but yet it's her job. And it's like sitting with her in those feelings for so long makes them really feel powerful when they shift. Or with Ulrich, um, or like any of any of the characters, you really get a chance to to be with the characters for that length of time. And not too long ago, I listened through the whole show, and I didn't find the the pacing, like, I didn't mind the slowness of it, because it made, when things big happen, like, it, it didn't feel rushed, it didn't feel... There was a payoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was and, worth it. You saw the whole build-up. And I, um, I, like, some people have asked me, like, what, you've, all, you've been playing for, like, a year, two years now, and you guys are only level five? Like yeah. a lot of people are really shocked that we're only level five, and I'm like, well, it's it's more the impact of the moment, like the story moment, and I really appreciate that we take our time with things like that. I I think that it's it's a good thing. Well, and you and I agree. part of that too is that like we don't play. It's not like we're playing every week, you know. Um, right. But also, uh, I'm seeing this more the the more we we move through our levels that. Uh, if we get too strong too fast, it, it becomes difficult to like manage those mechanics within the story because we can do some unreasonable things. Yeah. Um, so I true. think I think keeping us at a lower level makes the story make more sense because if we were like level ten or something, like there's some pretty crazy stuff you can do at level ten, and it gets hard to, you know, you start needing to fight giant monsters or whatever, like. Some of the some of the things that we battle won't wouldn't be as big of a deal. So I I like like I wouldn't mind personally hanging out for a good while at this level because it gives us enough to do some cool things. But I don't feel like I don't know the battles all feel to scale. They make sense for where we are. Right. Yeah. Like like I said, I appreciate the the slow level progress as well. Um. With conflict being to scale. I do also want to uh, foreshadow the fact that I've got probably four arcs brainstormed to get the characters in the party up to level 20. Like, there will be a point where you're dealing with some serious cosmic realities at play uh, and not just like state level politics where um, everything happens within 120 miles from each other. Eventually it'll be like planar disasters um so i'm already thinking that far ahead and i hope and dream that um we're going to be able to get that and i don't know if everybody's still going to be alive at that well, point or if we're all going to be i was going to ask characters. that because we've talked about switching characters and so I, I just now realized like if you know if we decide not to persist with a character for the story because it wouldn't make sense to keep drawing them in are we going to start them back at level one or are we going to hop in at level five like I'm not. Um, I I feel like 
that'll be worked out more so in backstory type things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think that Joe would just say like, okay, you started a new character, you're at level one, everyone else is at level ten, you're a useless party member. <laughs> yeah. Like, unless that's part of the story that you're just like getting sucked along, <laughs> that could be a lot of fun. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Well, hey, this is funny. Um, Brett Deaton literally just emailed me. Oh, uh, what did he say? Um, you sent in an audio question. Let me listen to it real quick. Hello, Advantage. This is Brett. I'm so glad that you've been able to wrap up this arc and that the show has grown so much. It's been so entertaining to hear it all. But I'm going to get straight to the questions because that's what this is all about. So, in keeping with the holidays, I'm curious about what you believe your characters would get for gifts for the other characters, and what you believe that your characters would give as gifts to you. Um, and in light of the recent uh, disadvantage, gotta say, I loved it. I laughed right along with you. It was great getting to listen to that on my long commute home, and... If I had to give you a, a star rating, like what you see on iTunes and all that, I would have to say that I would give you several. Happy holidays, everybody. I can hardly wait for Arc 2, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season. Have a good one. Bye-bye. I like that question. That's a fun that's one. A I got to really question. think about it, though. That's a that's a hard question. I think Marlinde would give, like, you know how they're, like, decorative bundles of, like, dried herbs and flowers that also might have meaning so she would give like pretty good smelly bundles of herbs that are like prayed over and blessed with some sort of spiritual significance of just like general well-being and health and good luck i feel like Ulrich would give something pragmatic but that's also tongue-in-cheek one of Ulrich's favorite things to do is poke at alaris and grimton for being special legionnaires um like they think that's hilarious and so they uh Ari could probably have gotten them something like maybe a cloak or something that that's useful but that like also has something attached like something about them being special legionnaires so that they it's it's also kind of a gag gift um proud member of the pandominion armed yeah, forces yes like a like a patch <laughs> or something um so the all right well and already would have gotten the same thing for everybody generally like something useful like a cloak or something like that but for for grimton and Ulrich, they would have specifically or grimton and uh alaris they would have specifically continued to poke at them for their for their being special legionnaires alaris probably would have made some sort of small token or something just going back to being a part of the, like growing up at the legacies and stuff would have made some sort of transmutation or whatever to come up with some sort of small trinket that would be nice to just carry around i'm gonna say that uh for dwarves the holidays are are more so a feast holiday so every family like specializes in making or brewing something and they bring it together and it's part of the celebration, or it's uh, an understood standard that it's not over until all the food and drink are gone, so that everyone's food and drink gets eaten nice. or drank. <laughs> so that's what he would expect everyone to do. 
he'd probably make some sort of veil. And finally, just because it's in a similar line of uh, lighter questions, this was sent in from Mary via Tumblr. What would your characters wear in a modern-day alternate universe? If they're not fashion-minded, what would they listen to? So so I was thinking about this. Me too. And I was thinking real hard. I, th- I feel like Alaris would look like well-dressed hipsters, if you will. You know, like... They wear like the like a suit with like the vest and like the whole mm. get up a man bun and a big beard type yes. of thing. Yes. Um, I, f- I feel like that's that's Alaris's style in in the modern day. Um, probably has this um, specific beard that like no one else knows about. And, um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and actually, you might start to see a little more of this because, you know, right now we, we haven't really gotten a chance to worry about fashion or our presentation because we've been just like tromping through the wilderness. Um, but Ulrich um, would probably be clean shaven and have long, like longer hair, uh, something you could put in a ponytail. I'm small, like I'm generally pretty short. Um, they would... Uh, have a pretty solid sense of style, but it would be somewhat like, um, like it wouldn't like Zach's aesthetic for Alaris is, is this like sort of hipster aesthetic. Uh, Ulrich would kind of wear whatever they're feeling that day, and some one day it could be something more like that, like looking nice. Whereas another day it could, or like wearing like pants and a button up shirt or something. Whereas another day it could be some like leggings and an oversized sweater um, because they're not going to care if it like boys clothes and girls clothes don't mean anything to them. They just wear what they think looks good. Um, they definitely would paint their nails and it would look fantastic all the time regardless of what they're wearing uh, and have a little bit of makeup. Just a little bit. I feel, I, f- I don't know. I feel like. Ulrich would be pretty heavy on the eye makeup. Like, um, the wings in particular. Arc 2 Ulrich, definitely so. And Arc 2 Ulrich is uh, is gonna have a lot more of a My Chemical Romance vibe, because, like, they're just, like, <laughs> yes. like lots of black. You'd just be on the lookout for that. Um, <laughs> they've gone through some I things. I am here for it. So, like, it's gonna be it's gonna be the stylish adult goth kid instead of, like, the seventh grade goth kid. But, uh, Darken be, your clothes and strike a violent pose. leave you alone. Not to not to derail for too long, but I've imagined Ulrich as a cyberpunk character a fair amount. Um, oh, love that! And, oh no, it's cool because they're definitely like, you know, they got long dark hair and they're wearing like sleek black form fit clothing and stuff and like, um, I okay so. I make I make music, and one of the things I make is electronic music, and I'm not very good at it right now, but I'm getting a lot better. Um, look look for it in Arc 2. Yeah. Well, that stuff, Joe, the stuff I've sent you is not super electronic. It, it Well, it is because I made it on a computer, but it's more orchestral. Um, but I've been working on some stuff that I'm going to put out, and the, the namesake for my electronic music is Orman Audio. I stole my character's name. And what I wanted to do is make some, like, super cool animations a la Daft Punk Discovery, if you've watched the music videos for that, where there's, like, a narrative story going on. Um, And it's all going to be, 
literally Ulrich, but in a cyberpunk world um, where it's like the future and like these lasers and stuff. So I've, I've thought about that a fair amount. <laughs> you can laugh at me all you want, but it's going to be dope. I feel like Grimton is definitely like the type of person that would keep like a well trimmed beard and wear his hair like high and tight. He's always wearing at least slacks, a well like starch shirt and a tie. But the minute he gets home, it's like all coming off and he's switching into sweatpants. Very old man. <laughs> like like always have tuck uh, a tucked shirt and a button down. Yes. Like that's the only way you'll see him in public. Does does Grimton have a cane? Yes. Describe this uh, modern day cane. It's uh, one of the ones that has like a, a handle. So it's not like just a straight stick, but it's just sleek, black, just understated. Uh, he chooses to stand with it in a way that may uh, even hide it, so to speak. Like, he doesn't want it to be the thing you focus on when you see him. So he's usually, like, holding it to the side of his leg as long as much as he can, like, moving it in stride with his leg instead of keeping it out in front of him. I think Moralinde would be uh, generally always dressed in, like, muted earth tones. Um, And so, like... When you think about not having to have a ceremonial garb, um, she would be wearing like always like a like a burnt orange or like a like a uh, like a green jacket, and then like brown or green pants, like just like straight up earth tones all day every day, um, and like definitely like more utilitarian leaning, not too much like cute flowy stuff. Like, occasional, I don't know, always scarves. I just feel like <laughs> since she's like a forest dweller, she's very, like, forest blender in. But not, like, in a weird redneck camouflage way. <laughs> like. Can, can we please, for the love of all that is good in this world, get some fan art of a side-by-side <laughs> Of like one panel is our characters in their normal getup, and then the second panel is the exact same steampunk characters, characters. Yeah, like the, just like looking at them in the same poses and everything, and even maybe the same color schemes, but in like their modern outfits. Like, love it. I I need this in my world, guys. All right, let's get to the credits. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Is there going to be like a we're doing credits now thing or should we just go into it? We're doing credits now thing. <laughs> hey, we're doing credits now. We'd like to thank Blake <laughs> Bost for the music in Arc 1 of Advantage. You can find him at soundcloud.com slash Blake Bost, B-L-A-K-E-B-O-S-T, no spaces. We'd also, ta- we'd also like to take take the time to thank Daniel Grayling for all the graphic design that went into Advantage. Don't forget that Dark Silver Forge is still offering a 10% discount to all Advantage listeners with the promo code ADVANTAGEDND, all caps, no space. They have some amazing 
dice sets and trays. Their dice are all a cast zinc alloy that are five and a half times heavier than your standard plastic dice. And dude, they're awesome. I have the Cthulhu gold set, and it's incredible. A few of us. Are I also have with the it. gold one. Oh, they're so good. It's. It might I'm seem silly, the but steel. it's absolutely worth uh, worth the money. They're well made, and I love playing with those dice. We would also love for you to come find us on social media and talk to us. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram, all on Advantage DND. That's at Advantage DND. No caps, no spaces. Jerry, you want me to add anything else? The name of the show is just Advantage. Only our handles on That's stuff. That's true. Is the name of Advantage our show D&D. is just Advantage, but all of those names were taken. <laughs> <laughs> Advantage D and D is just our handle for branding. Advantage um, D and D is just our handle for branding. I'm just I like saying that you're what you everything that I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you thought you were going to cut yourself out of those. That'd be nope, funny I'm if they just got it twice. <laughs> in just the, the call and response. Or you could like put All it to where we is... say it at the same time, like the board. Whoa. Our website. Uh, is also advantage D and D at uh, well no that's our our, our website is advantage um, that's got some good stuff on it I'm gonna add uh, some new maps we've got Daniel Grayling commissioned to um, give us some new maps that are gonna go up online uh, that would be advantage slash world um, it's also got some character bios and cast bios. Um, also, last but definitely not least, um, you can come and join us on the Darkmoor Podcast Network. Feel free to come and hang out with us and have some good conversations with some good people. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, oh, and I've also been putting, like, the drafts that I send off to Daniel for the maps. Um, those drafts and, like, character questionnaires and a whole bunch of other, like, background stuff published onto that discord channel so if you want to see all those go there also i know this is on the list but shout out to and prompt for patrons you guys and your support is what makes this show much more feasible um we're able to pay artists and things like that because of your continued support you can't become a patron that's okay i understand sometimes it's hard to find that money but you can always help us out by sharing us with a friend or leaving an iTunes review or a review on any listening platform that you're using. Any good notoriety like that helps us out. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I have the list pulled up right now, and I would like to thank each and every one of you who has helped uh, support us over the past two years. Um, Alice Clermont, Dan Bauer, Daniel Reed, Daniel Tan, uh, Jacob Kirby, Jaron Phillips, Jonah Novak, uh, Kevin Broussard, Kim Schmidt, Kit Battlebard, uh, Lucy, Meredith Wahlberg, Michael Callahan, and our uh, newest one, Ryan, who uh, literally became a Patreon this morning. Hey! It's fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Y'all, we've been recording for a long time. Yeah. Yep. Let's stop. All right, stopping the recording. Stop.